Well, good morning again, everybody. Glad that you're able to join us today. Uh, we continue our series in looking at the spiritual gifts, and we're going to be transitioning today. We're going to be transitioning over to 1 Corinthians 12, so feel free to, to turn over there. Uh, we will be going through different parts of the Bible as well. Um, and as we're transitioning, I figured now's a good time as any to ask, how are you doing with this series? You know, as you, have you contemplated the different thoughts that you've, you've had as we've been going through this series? Because similar to Brett, as you know, we were sitting there singing, I was thinking of the Lord's return, and yeah, we're going to be beholding that. Um, but the time is short. There's a lot of work to still do. There's a lot of, of things that we need to, to go out there as Christians and do, and to evangelize and to witness to people. And I got to hear some stories this week of several of you that have had those opportunities recently. And it's been amazing to hear, um, to see how, how the Lord is working through us to, to reach others. It's a wonderful thing to be a part of. And you know, as we've gone through this series so far, I think it shouldn't be too bad. We haven't reached too many of the controversial gifts yet. Um, and I've hoped that, you know, as I've presented things, it's been in a perspective that... Um, that's considerate if there is disagreements, things that have pushed us or challenged us in different ways. You know, as I've said before, I'm not the type of person that's on one side or the other in terms of the extremes. I try to stay as balanced as I can within Scripture, looking at what Scripture says. Um, but it also means, you know, I don't, I don't have all the answers for every possible scenario that we might face. There's a lot of mystery surrounding different things that we face, but we still lean in towards the Father to find those answers, to find that hope and that comfort from Him. You know, as we get into these gifts uh, in 1 Corinthians, things might be a little bit harder as time goes on. Um, but you know, as we, as we get into these, we will probably be weighing these gifts to different experiences that we've had for or against on different sides of the issue. Um, while at the same time remembering this is not an exhaustive list, understanding that the Lord works in many ways. Um, I will say that the responses that I have been getting, the feedback has been positive, it's been good. Um, and not in the good of, yeah, I agree with everything that you're saying, but in the good of we're being pushed, we're, we're getting outside of our comfort zones a little bit, similar to our seating arrangement today. Yeah. I don't know how you're feeling about that, if you have any anxiety revolving around who you get to sit closer to or sitting in the middle of a row and having to get out. Um, good on you, Ankies, for sitting in the middle with the kids. I mean, that's... that's <laughs> but, you know, you, you think about the different changes that we go. You know, even for myself, I, I've been challenged in a lot of hard things through this series. I know I have some hard sermons coming up that I've thought about for the last two or three months where I've had many sermons going on in my head and how I'm going to, to describe different things. Um, the Spirit has, has laid things in my heart to push me out of my own comfort zones when it comes to preaching. And it becomes a challenge, as it is a challenge for all of us. You know, will you listen to the Spirit when the Spirit challenges you to do something? I like my security nets. I like being able to, to stay comfort, comfortable in what I'm doing. So it's, it's been my prayer that as we go through these things, and we might be going through something that might be awkward or scary or uncomfortable, that we have the boldness to stand up for him 
understanding our walk with him and what he is calling us to do, who he is calling us to talk to and the importance behind that. So my prayer is that we continue to walk in the spirit in the directions that he is guiding us. So this morning, we're going to read over the main portion where we're going to be camping out for the next couple of months outside of the, the Easter weeks. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read the first 11 verses this morning. Now concerning the spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that... When you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all, to, all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Father, if, as we go into your word today, Lord, I pray that you would clear our hearts and minds of the distractions that we have going in in our life and that we can focus on you, that we can focus on your word this morning, that you would meet with us and teach us in strong ways. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so just like how we did it with Romans, um, I, we took a week to go over some of the context. I would like to do that same thing for us today, going over the context with the Corinthian church, and then cover the first seven verses this morning to kind of give us a better understanding of what Paul is coming up against within this church. Um, just... From face value, we should understand and know, as we've read the Bible, that the Corinthian church is kind of a messed up church. They have issues upon issues that Paul is dealing with. And he's pointing out specific instances that he is going to address in this letter. You know, and as we, as we think about how Paul writes different letters, we realize that he is writing to a specific people group going through specific things. And the question always then is, what is good for us today? You know, we're able to glean from a lot of what he is teaching, but we need to be careful what we state as matter of fact for us today or what we're picking and choosing to believe and not believe. And that gets us into the issue of the gifts. But, you know, there's other areas of examples. For instance, when he talks about head coverings in chapter 11. Is head coverings a hill that we want to die on? Because, I mean, it's in the Bible. Or is that something specific for this church? You know, when you do the background work of understanding head coverings, you, you then understand within this culture it had a lot to do with identifying married people. It had things to do with authority and headship. It had things to deal with adultery and prostitution. 
So he's dealing with a very specific issue within this church, within this culture. But we know that there are churches who take very strong stances on head coverings even today. You know, the letter to Corinthians has definitely been the basis for some bad legalism throughout the history of the church, where people will institute and push things on others because this is what it says in the Bible. You know, the difficulty when reading these letters is trying to understand and interpret how he is writing things to the church, where a lot of times we're left to imply or to infer in the different areas of what's going on and how Paul is addressing the problems within the church and the culture versus what is still good for the church today with these specific instances. Corinth itself was a city that was on a trade route, so it would have a lot of influences coming into the city. Christianity was one of those influences. So there was a church that was formed within this city. And this church had a ton of pressure from the outside. All of these different influences, all of these different faiths coming in threatening this church. And this church experienced great division. Paul addresses questions and problems that they're experiencing. I mean, they had issues understanding the resurrection Sacrificing food to idols, making their brothers and sisters stumble, issues with communion, issues with marriage, issues with sexual immorality, issues with church discipline, how to worship, when to worship, um, issues with the spiritual gifts. You know, so there was a lot that he covers within this letter. Turn over to chapter 1 in 1 Corinthians here. The first verse after his introduction, after his salutation, is very interesting. Um, chapter 1, verse 10. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. I mean, you know that this is not going to be a fun letter when he is opening his letter in this way. They're going to be getting some, some hard discipline as he is going through it. Then it goes into how the people are quarreling a little bit and who is following who. Picking up in verse 12, he says, What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? And I paused there this week. You know, I, I read through Corinthians, but it was at this point that I paused for a long time. And I thought about this question. Is Christ divided? I mean, I speak to this frequently. You know, I don't have all of the answers, but I would say that there's many times that we're probably wrong in the way that we're thinking in terms of how we're approaching different things. You know, is Christ divided? You think of how the church is supposed to be the body of Christ, right? There's a common struggle. It's not just within this church, but I would say that it's in many churches, especially in America. Being able to call other churches, other denominations, Christians. 
Oh, those Pentecostals, those hyper-Calvinists, those Lutherans, those Catholics. Good thing we got it right, and we follow. Hmm. Do we see how the same tired argument that is in Paul's day is still alive and well in the church today? Is Christ divided? Yeah, but, you know, these people, they don't believe the same thing we do. They no longer believe the way that they used to believe. They've changed. I said it before, I don't have all the answers. I simply read how in the Bible it says there is to be unity. And I recognize that we're a ways off from that. And I would suggest that it grieves the Spirit. Now, yes, we need to stand for truth and not have unity for unity's sake but also be humble enough to admit when we're creating divisions. That we might not always be right on some of the third-tier issues that divide. I mean, you look at any church within the area, I would say with strict confidence that most of the statements of faith are probably cut and pasted from the same cloth. Most of the statement of faiths deal with your first tier issues. Jesus is Lord, God is the creator, there is a trinity, um, maybe talking about some of the ordinances, things like that. Those are the main issues that Christians agree with. It's a lot of those third tier issues where we find our disagreements and our divisions. And I bring up this issue of division for a very important reason this morning. Because I believe divisions here in chapter 1 is a stronger term than the word that's used in our passage, varieties. I looked at that this week, and it really stood out in terms of how I'm treating other believers. Do I treat them with division, or do I treat them as a variety? And it made me wonder about the third-tier items makes me wonder about how many times we might make these third-tier items into first-tier items and then claim that others are not Christians. We need to be careful in how we deal with these issues because, I mean, the converse can equally be true. Oh, those people at Harvest. I mean, I've heard the stories. You guys were a cult back in the day. You know, you, you think about what others think of you. As I said, it's a commonality in most churches, how we view other churches. But is Christ divided? Made me take a look at the planks and the specks in our eyes. Continuing on in chapter 1, verse 13. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. You know, as I said, I read through Corinthians this week, and there were so many good points that I wanted to string together. You know, the start of chapter 2 kind of picks, off where, picks up where he leaves off there in, in verse 17. 
He says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimonies of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my, spirit, my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You know, Paul, he did not come with lofty speech or wisdom, but in the demonstration of spirit and of power, so that their faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In chapter 3, he talks about the divisions among them again and who they're following. In chapter 4, he talks about how the stewards of God need to be found faithful. And in chapter 4, verse 20, says for the kingdom of sorry for the kingdom of god does not consist in talk but in power now the context around that is he's dealing with these other people that are coming in these influences to the corinthian church and they're talking a big game and paul says when i get there we'll see how their talk is and what it amounts to because god works in power and it made me think okay and what power am I dealing? What power are the people that I shepherd seeing? Or is it all just words? Is it all just earthly wisdom? Is it all an intellectual exercise that we go through on Sunday mornings? I mean, how would we respond if we saw acts of power? I mean, isn't changing our seating enough for a while? Let's take a break. I mean, how would we handle a deliverance ministry, a healing ministry, utterances of wisdom or knowledge? Or is that too Pentecostally for us? For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Acts of power have been used throughout Scripture to confirm the word of God. Chapter 5 and following, Paul gets more into the serious issues that the church is dealing with, starting with the man who needs to be kicked out of the church for sexual immorality. He talks about how they shouldn't have lawsuits because, uh, amongst themselves because it should be a given that they're treating each other in the right way. They shouldn't be acting like the pagans. Chapter 6, verse 11 And such were some of you, talking about the pagans, talking about their former sinful life. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And as a parent, I almost want to finish Paul's sentence. So act like it. You know, all of these things we have in Christ, yet you want to still live like the pagans? You know, it made me, just from Sunday school, and Becky shared some good stuff in Sunday school this morning, it made me think of Toy Story 4 and Forky. How after he gets out, what's he want to do? I just want to jump back into the trash because I'm trash. As Christians, we were bought with a precious, the precious blood of Christ. And yet, how often in our lives do we just want to jump back into sin? 
because that's what we know, because that's where we feel comfortable, because we can deal with that a little bit. You were washed. You were justified. You were sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Live like it. What a difference that would make in our lives. Paul speaks to the married, the unmarried, and the widowed in chapter 7. He speaks to the idolatry that they're going through and the idols in the city and how food is offered to those idols and how it's causing people to stumble and how they're inappropriately taking communion in chapter 11. And then we come into our chapter 12 with this intro. Now concerning the gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. So just kind of analyzing this first verse there in chapter 12, we're inferring that there's an issue with the gifts, that the people are uninformed in some way, perhaps implying that they're abusing and misusing the gifts, that there's this unawareness that they're dealing with in terms of the spiritual gifts. You know, in the Greek, as he starts this out, um, he's saying, now concerning the spiritual. So this is a pneuma term. It's not charismata. So spiritual things, spiritual ones, sometimes gets translated that way. But within the context of charismata in verses 4 and 9, it comes up into concerning the spiritual gifts in verse 1. But he's talking about the spiritual thing now. Um, when we think about what he is saying, let's talk about the spiritual. It's so that they will not be uninformed. Now, whenever Paul says, I, I don't want you to be uninformed, I don't want you to be unaware, it's because they're not informed. It's because they're not aware. It's a very similar open in chapter 10, where he says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all ate the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. You know, you think of the church in Corinth. It's not like... There might be a mixture of Jews, but primarily it would probably be Gentiles, and they might not have that history. So he didn't want the people to be unaware, so he is educating them on the history of God and what he has done for his people. You know, the people, they wouldn't need to be informed without a reason, whether that's instructing on the idolatry of Israel or on the spiritual gifts being used in the church. So he's going to inform them now. And it's an interesting pattern that he follows. He starts by speaking about the idolatry of the pagans in verses 2 and 3. You know, it might seem like it's a little out of place. Why is Paul bringing this in when he's talking about spiritual gifts? But let's dig a little bit deeper. Let's turn, put a bookmark here in 1 Corinthians 12, and let's turn to Psalm 135. We'll go through a couple passages here in the Old Testament. You know, when we see different terms within the New Testament, when we're studying the Bible, when we're trying to dig deeper, we want to get a conceptual understanding. When he says idolatry, what does he mean 
by idolatry. You know, so we use Scripture to help give us that definition to see what it looks like. And in Psalm 135, I'm going to start in verse 15 and read through verse 18. It says, The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. So you know, we, we look at this passage, we look at the gold and the silver that's being used to create these idols that have faces, right? Kind of zeroing, zeroing in on verse 18. It's a very important understanding for idolatry that the people became like the idols, having mouths but not speaking, having ears but not hearing, having eyes but not seeing. Kind of a familiar teaching in in scripture. Turn over to Isaiah 44. Isaiah 44. I'm going to begin in verse 13. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks, marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man, with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars, or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak, and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar, and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for man. He takes a part of it and he warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and he worships it. And he makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. He also warms himself and and says, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to worship it. He prays to it. Deliver me, for you are my God. They know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, Half of it I burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roast meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? So in this section, idols are made of wood, along with many other things that he uses the wood for that are disposable. You know, it's been said in terms of money. Money comes from paper. It has faces on it. It's pretty mute but it becomes an idol. It's a danger that we face in America. Do we see the connections between ourselves and the Israelites? Do we see the connections in our lives and the dangers that we face in terms of what we're serving? In Habakkuk 2, you don't have to turn there, 
um, in Habakkuk 2, verses 18 and 19. It says, What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake! To a silent stone, Arise! Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. So you think about idolatry. For those who follow idols, they become like the idols that they worship. But who do we follow? As believers, we follow the living God, and he gives us life. You think of John chapter 20, verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal, steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come so that you may have life and have it abundantly. The true living God gives life. So don't you think that as we worship him, we should be emulating and imitating Christ then, who is alive and not dead or mute or deaf like these idols? Within our life, do people see that breath of life? Do people see that spirit? Do people see what we are worshiping? Or do they see us being mute? I think that's the point that Paul is getting across in verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 12, if you want to turn back there. In terms of understanding the pagans and how they were led astray to mute idols, however they were led. As we look at verse 3, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. I link this verse a lot of times to Romans 8, verses 14 through 17. It says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as, as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may, be also, we may also be glorified with him. Now, obviously, people can mock and say that Jesus is Lord and not mean it in their heart, right? Because that's coming from them. That's coming from their own wickedness. However, the Spirit would not lead someone to say that Jesus is accursed. Instead, he would have us cry, Abba, Father, that Jesus is Lord. Now, one thought behind this saying uh, about people saying that Jesus is cursed is how in Galatians, you know, I, I tend to think when Paul is giving the gospel, he does it very similarly to every church that he goes to. And in the book of Galatians, Paul says um, that Jesus is cursed because cursed is any man who hangs on a tree. And when you hear that within the midst of everything else that he says, it is a truism that people will pick up on one thing that you say and hold on to that thing. 
And you think about the Corinthian church and everything that's going on with them, and it's plausible that maybe that's what they heard and they just kept, Jesus is accursed. Paul said it. And completely miss the point that he was making. I mean, has that ever happened in your life where you're speaking to your children or to your spouse and you're saying this stuff and they center in on one thing completely out of context and miss it? Again, speculation just in terms of why people would be saying that. No elbows, please. And then as we think about how Jesus is or how Paul would be presenting that, you know, understanding what Jesus has done for us where we can get caught up in that and not realize the glory that comes through his resurrection. Again, this church was messed up in a lot of ways. And it's easy for people to mis- misinterpret or to leave out meaning if, with what's being said. But the point from this verse is that the Spirit would only lead us to say that Christ is Lord. Everything else would not be from him. As we continue, let's look at verses 4 through 6 together. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So I want you to be able to notice two triplets right away. You have the gifts, services, and activities. And then you have the Spirit, Lord, and God. You also have two terms in the varieties, and the same. And within these eight terms, there's a lot of connection. The connections show the uniqueness and the varieties within us as believers, yet the unity and the sameness of God. Here in verse 4, that term is charismata that is being used. And the fact that Paul is stressing the varieties and the sameness with the Lord, within the Lord, shows the importance and the emphasis needing to be on God. There could be no division within Christians when it comes to the gifts because it is the one and same God who is providing the gifts in all of their diversity as he wills. He empowers them in each of the believers. So Paul is addressing this matter Um, in a way that shows that they're probably taking pride in the gifts that they've received, in certain gifts, creating classes, creating divisions within the body rather than building the body up for the common good, as it says in verse 7. You know, there is a diversity within the gifts, but the Spirit does not fight against Himself. There is sameness. There is unity. The gifts would work in harmony, not in division. They have a divine purpose. As I said before, it's us who then would bring in the divisions, perhaps as we don't appreciate the varieties. But even within this body, there are a variety of believers who have a variety of gifts. We each come from different backgrounds, different traditions. You know, some people may love certain versions of the Bible. Some people might love hymns only. Some people might only want modern choruses. Some people might like to raise their hands in worship. Just varieties in what we might like, in third-tier issues, in preferences. Just as there is a variety in styles. You know, I'm fully aware not everybody would get on board with the style of preaching that I have. Some people might like a preacher that's banging the pulpit and yelling and sweating profusely. 
Some people might like a preacher that's got a three-piece suit on every Sunday. I don't think too many of you want me in like ripped jeans and a fedora or something like that. But you know, you think of the preferences that we have, the varieties that we have. And it's okay to understand that the Spirit moves in each of us differently. That the manifestations of the Spirit are to be used to help people know and understand Jesus. They move towards His purpose, not towards our own vain pursuits, not towards our own preferences. You know, you look at verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, for the benefit, for the profit of those that are around. You know, I combine verse 7 and my understanding with that to verse 11 in terms of how the Spirit apportions individually as He wills. You know, I don't, I don't know about you, but I mean, it's, to me it's enough just to be having the Spirit indwelling me. But then again, to know that the Spirit will use me, that He will gift me in different ways to serve the kingdom of God, to advance the kingdom of God forward. It's an awesome weight and responsibility, but it's also an important thing to rejoice about that we get to be used by God to advance his kingdom, to share the gospel message, to use our gifts to build each other up in whatever capacities that the Spirit prompts us. And again, it goes back to how are we walking with the Spirit, to be able to hear, to be able to, to know what God wants, to be in his word, to see that it lines up with his word. You know, as we get into the gifts, um, that especially the ones that are more controversial, you land on the passages in 1 John where you are called to test the spirits, plural, to understand what's coming from God and what's not because we have a very real enemy that wants to separate us from the hands of God that is constantly on attack. We talked about that a couple weeks ago and again, the, the attacks continue to come. You know, I had things that happened this week and it was, a, it was a moment of pride, I guess. In the middle of everything that was going on, it was Noah who said, hey, Dad, it's just like your sermon on Sunday. You're going to face more attacks. And it made me just, <sighs> he was listening. All right. <laughs> but he was right. You know, understanding that the enemy wants nothing more to take us out of the fellowship with God. Nothing more to frustrate us in our walks so that we don't get closer, so that we don't grow closer to him. You know, we think about, um, we think about the Holy Spirit and what he means in our lives. We think about what Jesus does at the Last Supper, understanding that, you know, he is the Lord, yet he washes the disciples' feet. Many times we can get God complexes in our own hearts and minds because we're Christians, we're saved, that's it. We're called to be servants. We're called to be using the grace that we have been given to share that with others. You know, we look at Philippians 2, how it describes Christ and his humility, how he leaves his seat of honor to come down and take the form of a lowly servant. And he is obedient, even obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. The gifts are expressions of God's grace meant to confirm the words of Scripture, to build up, to edify the body to be used for the common good. Many of the gifts that we talk about were used in worship services to benefit one another. But they must be used or understood as given by the Spirit as He wills. It's not a random thing. It's not a perchance thing. It's not a lifetime appointment. And again, 
our walks are tied to it in terms of understanding and hearing the promptings of the Spirit. Understanding what the Spirit wants us to do. As we're walking closer to the Lord, we're going to be more in tune with that. Where we're understanding the joy of being used by the Father in whatever way to advance His kingdom because it's about Him. These gifts are not about us. These gifts here are not exhaustive. You know, we need to understand that God is still working in people today and come to terms with the means that he is using to do so. You know, even as a cessationist, you believe that God is still working through the word of God, through preachers who are preaching that word of God and expounding upon that word of God. We don't believe that God is just fully transcendent and not involved in this world because we believe that he is dwelling within us and that his spirit needs to be moved through this world. You know, many times we get set in our comfort zones, as I said. We like what we like. We like what we've grown up with. We like what we're comfortable with, what we're used to. You know, I'm not here to ruffle all your feathers, maybe just a few. But I want to put the word in front of you in a way that pushes you out of your comfort zone. Because when we take those steps of faith, we grow in such deep ways. And it's amazing to see how God works through different circumstances, through the trials, through the times of rejoicing. You know, many times we look at the people who are lost around us and we wish, God, why don't you do something? Right? You think of the Matthew West song. What was his answer? God says, I did. I created you. You have been created for a purpose, to glorify and to worship the Father. No matter where we come down with our beliefs and the gifts, we can't overlook our walk with the Father and the roles that he has called us to do. The Spirit will guide us in all truth, the truth that we are to be serving one another. We are to be models of the life that we have been given, modeling our life after our Creator. You know, understanding how idolatry is very similar in that. You know, we worship the creator, not the creation. He is alive. He is not deaf. He is not mute. And he instructs and advances, he instructs us to advance his kingdom forward. He has given us his word. He has given us the spirit. And he has given us this church body to build each other up, to encourage each other, to proclaim his name above all other names. Because at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Father, as we enter into this next list of gifts, I pray that you would continue to do wonderful works in us. That with different areas in our life where we enjoy comfort, that you would shake us. that you would shake us in a way that we wake up from our complacency, our lukewarmness if we have that, and that we would be running after you. Lord, you have set that race before us. May we have the endurance to run it well. May we look to our rights and our left at our brothers and sisters in Christ, some who may be limping, some who may be sitting down, some who may be ready to run another marathon. 
Lord, help us to be united under you, to move forward as a body, to mentor, to guide, to listen. Lord, you have given us the life of your spirit. Lord, and as Deuteronomy warns, Father, I pray that we do not use the breath that you have given us to curse you, but instead to praise you, to praise your, your holy name. Lord, we thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for the gift of the Spirit. And I pray that as we see similarities between us and the Corinthian church, that you would give us the ears to hear, the eyes to see, and repentant hearts, Lord, to turn back to you. Confessing those things that we have messed up, turning our life back towards you and away from the idols. Protect us from the attacks of the enemy and give us opportunities to share your grace with those around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.